In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated. These ten men in our Gospel reading form the most unlikely community. Under normal circumstances, they would not be together. Each of them would live in their own homes and neighborhoods, with their own families, and go to their own place of employment. Jews and Samaritans would not live together, nor would they worship together. Chances are these ten never would have met. But they are united in this. They have all alike received the same awful, dreadful, deadly diagnosis. Each of them is infected with leprosy, a disease slowly killing them from inside out and from outside in. For them, the diagnosis of leprosy meant one thing, a living death. They cannot worship as God prescribes. They must leave home and family. They cannot go to work. And yet, man cannot live completely without community. Absolute independence is near impossible. So he still desires and needs others around him. And if he has been excluded from his old community, then he will look for a new one. And in this case, what does he find but a community of those who share the same disease? And in a way, you see how this works because you know that they can't give leprosy to one another. But on another level, If your loved one has a rare or deadly disease, you might join a community of those who have that same trouble. You come together and support each other. You give each other courage and strength. You offer advice, or perhaps just a shoulder to cry on. This disease overcame any sort of fear or aversion toward another race, nationality, or religion. But now these lepers have come to a new community, a community that transcends race and creed, color and class, age and gender. Their fellowship is formed around their common trouble, not just leprosy, but isolation. For when all those who are isolated join together, they aren't isolated anymore. Although this new community occasionally experienced care from those outside, much of the love that they experienced came from those within their new fellowship. They were interdependent. They needed each other. Their survival depended on it. But leprosy is not just some kind of disease. Leprosy is an image of our sin, 
It shows in the body what is actually going on. Those who have the leprosy of sin are excluded from the community. You know that your sin has cut you off from God. The sins others have committed against you have made you feel unworthy of God's love. And those who live contrary to God's commandments find that their lives are full of trouble and heartache. Now, this isn't just a consequence of sin, but this is the very nature of sin. This is what it is. By nature, sin isolates and cuts off. And practically speaking, the liar is deemed unreliable. The thief has no friends. The adulterer is unloved. To sin means to despise what God has given. St. Paul, in our epistle lesson today, calls these the deeds of the flesh, the sins of our sinful nature, and he says that they are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are the kinds of things that cut you off, that isolate and separate you from those around you. But being cut off from the community God has established doesn't remove your need for a community. And if your sin has taken you away from the institutions that God has given for the proclamation of his word, from the family and the church, you will seek fellowship elsewhere. Sinners will, if given the opportunity, join a fellowship of those who suffer the same sin. And in their fellowship of suffering, they will speak in two ways. One, they will work to show the world how oppressed they are and that they need special treatment. And two, they will find a way to celebrate their sin and revel in what God says is wrong. Sometimes they do both. Sometimes they even give their new fellowship a name. They will call it the name of sin, community. In that community, everyone who has that sin is affirmed and applauded, and together they convince themselves that everyone outside their new community is bad and evil and hateful and wrong. And perhaps one of the most obvious ways we see this is in a church under uh, someone like Joel Osteen where he says, we don't have sins, we only have mistakes. And so let's get together around our, and talk about the fact that we have made mistakes. And that those who use the term sin are being hateful and judgmental. This is what the devil wants. He wants to take away the idea of sin 
and he wants communities formed around these ideas. If we cannot define what life is, then how can there be anything that takes life away? Or if we define certain classes of people as not having life, then there can be no murder or abortion or or euthanasia. If we throw away the seventh commandment and take away all private property, then when I steal, I'm not taking something that belongs to someone. And therefore, it's not wrong. Or if there is no marriage, or we define it so expansively to be meaningless, then there is no adultery, no fornication. If there is no truth, then the truth cannot be twisted or distorted, and lies do not exist. If there is no love, then how could anything be rightly called abuse? So when you have formed a community around a certain collective sinful property, then you can celebrate the property that... Sorry. When, when you have formed a community around having collective property, then you can celebrate the property that you have gained from the collective. When the child in the womb has no life, then you can shout your abortion. And if there is no truth, you can speak your own truth and rejoice in it. When there is no sin, you need no savior. But notice what happens in our text. Into this world of isolation and a community formed around what has gone wrong, here comes Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he doesn't have to take this route, and yet Jesus chooses specifically to go along this borderland between Galilee and Samaria. And he comes near to these ten lepers. He doesn't leave them alone and isolated to die in the the death that their disease has brought to them. He isn't afraid of them. He comes near. And this is a call for us in the church to do the same. The church ought to be finding all those who have been excluded from culture and society because that is what Jesus does. The church ought to be finding those who are broken and downtrodden and despairing and left out. And all those who have those evident deeds of the flesh, well, they're supposed to be with Jesus too. Because Jesus came for everyone. Everyone belongs with Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he calls them out of their fellowship of disease and sin back into wholeness and life. But when he restores them to wholeness and life, Jesus is not calling them back to the way things were before. If that's what Jesus called them to, then there would again be division between Jew and Samaritan 
social economic status, and all sorts of other things like that. But Jesus draws a line around his community in a different way. He calls all of them to be with him together because everyone belongs with Jesus. He calls them to be in fellowship with him and with one another. And we see this especially in our text when Jesus asks the question, where are the nine? Why have they not come back? Jesus apparently expected them to return. He knew that they ought to be with him. But whatever faith the nine had possessed when they cried to Jesus for mercy, that faith doesn't bring them to come back to Jesus. Even after they go to the priests and go through their cleansing rituals, they don't return to Jesus. They go back to home and family and life, but without Jesus. And so this shows us that whatever faith they might possess now is not faith in Jesus. And so if we are to see the example of faith in our text, see the Samaritan, see him turning and returning to Jesus. And thus, you learn that turning and returning to Jesus is the entire Christian life. It's what Luther said in the first of the 95 Theses, that the entire life of the Christian should be one of repentance, sorrow over sin, and prayer and faith in Christ to remove that sin. And so see this Samaritan going to Jesus, giving him thanksgiving and bowing in worship. For worship does not happen only with the lips, but also with the body. That's why we have the sign of the cross and kneeling and standing and bowing and pastor raising his hand in blessing. It's not that any of these things are mandatory, but we recognize that praise and thanksgiving and worship is entirely natural for the Christian. And so we endeavor to use ceremonies here that teach about Christ. At the Lord's altar, if you are physically able, you kneel before him, not because there's some law that says you have to do it, but because you recognize that your Savior, your King is here, flesh and blood before you. Perhaps you've seen the pastor kneel at the altar upon the consecration of the elements. When he bows, then he's just doing the same ceremony that you do when you come to the altar. Now we could go on with other ceremonies, but we see in this text that worship happens not only with the heart and lips, but with the body. In our text, all ten get healing. All were cleansed. And yet 90% of them don't return to Jesus. 
Maybe there's a, a commentary there on the number of people that we have in church. But that means that this 90% misses out. Not just in giving thanksgiving and worship to Jesus, but they don't get to hear his benediction. Didn't they not know that they also would be welcomed by Jesus? Only one heard that he was saved. Only one joined the community that Jesus had come to give. For when the Samaritan comes before Jesus, he hears the Lord's word of blessing. Go your way, your faith has made you well. And in the Greek we hear, Go your way, your faith has saved you. You have looked to Christ for your salvation, and he has done for you as you have believed. He has given you mercy and healing. He has given you salvation and the faith to receive it. So go your way. Go my way? But what is my way? Is it my way, the deeds of the flesh and the supposed freedom to do whatever I want? No. You have been called out of that life. You are now given the Holy Spirit and all of his fruits. It's the life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and things like these. Your faith has saved you. And if your faith in Jesus has saved you, then you don't belong to your community of sin anymore. You belong to the community that is centered around Jesus. And an aspect of that community is here. What brings you to this place today is not a common hobby or sport. We don't all like to get together and play games or go do the same activities. Now, we could perhaps say that a common interest has brought us together. But are we then to conclude that our common interest toward each other is limited to 75 minutes or so a week? Are we a community only for a little more than an hour on Sundays and maybe another hour or two when we have midweek services during the penitential seasons? Or is our community here only constituted every other week or or once a month or when I happen to show up? Does this fellowship only exist when everything is going okay in my life and it dries up and vanishes the moment I need help? Do I look to the fellowship of saints in this place for help? Do I look to help those who gather in this place week after week? Do I know the needs of my neighbor? Consider once again this community of lepers. These lepers knew their need. They knew they had to depend on each other or death would come sooner rather than later. Part of what happens with leprosy is a dying of the body 
and a deadening of the nerves so that you no longer feel. You no longer recognize when you are doing something harmful or dangerous. But what about in the Christian church? I think if we take an honest look at the other communities out in the world, that they might put us to shame. And so let us consider what it is that has brought you here today. Your Lord has brought you into this place because you are in desperate need of salvation and you know where to find it. You have come to this place not to celebrate your sin, nor even to simply mourn over it. You have come to this place to confess your sin, to be healed and forgiven. But you are saved not just from something, but for something. You are brought into this place to be members of a better fellowship, a better community. You are interdependent. You depend on each other. Your spiritual life depends on it. Though we gather in one fellowship of this altar, your fellowship and union with the family that calls this place home isn't limited to a a few minutes devoted up here to a special meal. The community doesn't stop there. Consider what it means to be in a community, to look out for the needs of others, to find out how you can help your neighbors here. The lepers, well, all their disease was on the outside where everyone could see it. But how easy is it to know what your neighbor's needs are by looking at him? Or what about ourselves? How often do we pretend that we have no needs, that we have no sin that needs forgiving? Each one of us left to our own devices will conclude that our sin isn't that bad. It's not really that harmful. I can take care of my troubles on my own. All mankind shares in the brokenness of sin. But Christians know that it's wrong. It's evil. And by our own reason and strength, it's unfixable. So look here to Jesus and invite and direct your neighbors also to Jesus. For he is the one who takes away your sin. Because it is this place that breaks up all the anti-fellowships with the fellowship of the Lord's church, the fellowship of his body and blood. This Eucharistic meal finds its end and goal in the Christian life. That's why we pray following every communion that this meal would strengthen us in faith toward God and in love toward the neighbor. And when you think about your neighbors, I'm sure you can think about your neighbors out in the world and in your daily life. But remember that your neighbors start with all those who join you in these pews. This is the place of true fellowship.
so that people from every sort of different background, culture, condition, education, and nationality belong here because they all belong with Jesus. This is the place where those with different temptations, different struggles, different sins become bound together in this fellowship that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. The Lord's Church is the most universal place in the world, for in this church, everyone is welcome by the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's not a community that depends on you or that you make yourself, but one that is given to you. The community is centered on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Every one of us, individually and corporately, our lives depend on the merciful master who has given us his mercy. So if this community depends on him and not on you, then live according to his word. Without Jesus, we poor, miserable sinners have a community based on disease, based on evident deeds of the flesh, based on sin and its effects. But Jesus heals you of your affliction and calls you to a better life, one of turning and returning to Jesus, giving thanksgiving to God, which is worship. Healed then by Jesus, you are brought into a new fellowship where you are sent out to go your way, which is no longer the way of the flesh, but the way of the Holy Spirit and all of his fruits. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.